so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 101 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about the things that we love, the people that we hate, and all sorts of fun stuff in between. I am Karen Peterson, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello! So, um, thank you so much for coming back after the the break, everybody. We're glad to have you with us. This week, we are actually going to be doing a rundown of the best stuff of 2019 and the things that we loved, and uh, we're actually going to avoid talking pretty much about the things that we hated. We're going to keep this positive and happy and and, uh, close out this year... In a good way. Right? Yay! <laughs> Yay! Uh, so we're not talking about garbage people. We're not talking about fanboys that are really irritating. <laughs> we're just going to skip all that. But before we get into it, Lauren, how are you? I am good. I am good. I am still recovering from from Christmas and like actually being like, oh, now I have to be productive again. That's stupid. Such a bummer. Yeah. I convinced my entire family that we should go on a cruise next year for Christmas. And um, let me tell you, it did not take a lot of convincing. That sounds like a great idea, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked. So now I'm already looking forward to next Christmas. <laughs> All right. So um, this week, I can't, I still can't believe that we've hit 100 episodes and that we're now into the 100s. Yeah, it's like that we we are very accomplished and um, <laughs> uh, spectacular people, obviously. So it's not easy to do this, guys, to like record 100 episodes. Like, go back and listen to our first episode. It is crazy <laughs> different. It is a different world. It really is. And it's funny because that first episode wasn't even actually our first episode. The first one never made it mm-hmm. because we had recording problems and audio problems and I was learning how to do it and I kind of couldn't get that one to work so we (laughs) recorded again and that was yeah that was how that all went down yes we the first episode is is pretty funny the real one (laughs) Uh, our our first episode the the one that we actually recorded was the one that we actually covered it chapter one uh uh-huh right yeah yeah I remember that wow (laughs) Yeah, and then yeah. there was all kinds of feedback and everything like that. It was it was not it was not good. It was unfortunate. Nope. But it was, you know, a work in progress and now this is a well oiled machine. <laughs> We've got our shit together, we know what we're doing. Mostly. In like life and <laughs> on the yeah, podcast, too. not in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm much more uh confident and capable with the podcast than I am <laughs> with my day to day. But that's okay. Anyway, so this week we are going to go through the best of 2019. And all of our, by best we mean favorite. And um, 
Yeah, so we're going to talk about our favorite movies, our favorite actors and actresses, our favorite thirst discoveries, all kinds of things. So uh, let's actually start with... um, Let's start with costume design. I think this was an interesting and, and cool year for some really great costume work. So, Lauren, what do you have for that? I am terrible on costumes, as I have said before, and I think that uh, I should be forgiven for this. The The big one that just immediately popped into my mind was Rocket Man, um, mm-hmm. just as soon as I looked at this category. Because, first of all, Rocket Man did actually come out this year, which I still cannot completely <laughs> process. Uh, but the costuming in that is, is spectacular. And if you look at the, um, if you look at the original, uh, costumes that Elton John wore, and then you look at the ones that they did in the film, they, they really did a good job with replicating that and also fitting it to, to Taryn Edgerton. Um, so that was a major one. The other one, and this might be more about cinematography than it is about costumes, is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, the way that they use the costumes in that film and the importance of costuming, the importance of the dresses that the women wear and uh, and how they look at each other uh, in those dresses. And, and the there's one particular green dress that is very important throughout the film. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And the I don't I love those kinds of films where you really get the popping colors Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a texture to them. And so again, this might be a little, this might be more about cinematography than it is necessarily about costuming, but the relationship between the two is just, just wonderful. And it's very deep and um, intense, which is quite in keeping with uh, the, the majority of that film. So those are the two that like just immediately came up for me. Nice. Yeah. I love the costume design in Rocket Man. I think it's, it's so... What I love is the fact, like you, you mentioned, they did a really good job of replicating those costumes. They did, and still managed to make it something that's not just a total copy, because yeah. there's a little bit of, of difference to them to make them, you know, pop more for the screen, and um, yeah, and then like changing kind of some of the things about when he was in the Queen Elizabeth costume instead of King Louis the. 16th or whatever mm-hmm. and stuff like that it was just really fun and uh i i loved it i thought it was so great and it really just helps pull you into taryn edgerton's performance so well and then um let's see uh i'm gonna give a shout out to rose's hat in dr sleep oh yeah that's a good one <laughs> I, like that. I mean that her entire look rebecca ferguson in that movie is just flawless and yeah. some of that has to do with the costume design so definitely that one um and then also dolomite is my name have you watched that yet yes yes i was actually just thinking about that one as we were talking oh yeah Oh man, those costumes are fantastic, and the outfits that he wears are great. I I just love it. Yeah, so and those are mine. Do you have any others you thought of? Or no, actually, Dolomite is my name was one that just popped up into my head, and then you mentioned I I like that one because it it gets the seventies look. It doesn't look fake. Mm-hmm. It looks very like this is this is the nineteen seventies, and it's that sort of extremity of costuming but also there there's a realness to it i don't know how else to describe it it's well done definitely yeah well especially because he rudy ray moore when he's taking on the persona of dolomite he is this big 
you know, bombastic guy and, mm-hmm. and just very loud and, and those costumes just match that so well. So yeah, I love that. I also, um, I also just want to mention the, um, speaking of color, you were just talking about with portrait of a lady on fire, but Jojo rabbit, the, yeah. not the uniforms, but the rest of the costumes in that when they're in regular clothes, especially Rosie, his mom, Mm-hmm. Um, the coat that she wears, the shoes, everything about it. It's just, it's perfect. I love that so mm-hmm. much. Um, let's go with an acting category. Let's talk about favorite supporting actors and then actresses. All right. Well, I've got a, a few, uh, and I have a feeling that there's going to be ones that are going to overlap for both of us. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually have two from Jojo Rabbit. Archie Yates, who, oh gosh, I love that kid. <laughs> who plays Yorkie, who's just... So adorable and so lovable, and I am just glad that he exists in that film and just in life. Uh, it, it just made me so happy. Um, I did not want a Home Alone remake until I found out Archie Yates was going to be in it. Exactly. Like, Give it to me now. I'm, I'm willing to go along with that. I'm willing to go <laughs> along with that just for that kid. Like, he's, he's lovely. Um, Although and- I don't know how you leave that kid behind. Really. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. <laughs> he's know. so cute. Oh my god. <laughs> but also like he he provides a great counterpoint to to Jojo. Like he mm-hmm. he's they've got this wonderful relationship and and he's he and he's the one like he he actually does join the Hitler youth. Like he, and so it's it's this really interesting relationship where you've got this little boy who is so cute and so sweet and is like being indoctrinated into becoming a Nazi. And he becomes like a child soldier by the end of the mm-hmm. film. And it's funny, but it's also very sad and very, like, moving in a lot of ways. So there, it, he's, he's part of that wonderful balance in that film of the, the, of the comedy and the realness of the world that these kids are living in. Yeah. Um, the, and the other one from Jojo Rabbit is Taika Waititi. I think that, again, that character of imaginary Hitler... <laughs> could be so caricaturish and he and he starts out as caricaturish but mm-hmm. as the film goes on the way that he changes and the menace that begins to underlie that character and the the cruelty and the brutality that begins to come out is really well done and it's it's interesting to see Watiti who is such a likable figure on screen um move into that kind of thing and and he does it really really well i think that some of the criticism of Jojo Rabbit has been about that character and his performance. Uh, but I actually think that without it, you it, it would be a much less effective film. And he gets into some really interesting subtleties that, you know, that we really haven't seen since Chaplin did The Great Dictator. And it's, and for a, a secondary character, really, um, it's really interesting to watch him. So I really liked him in that. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I finally, I finally went and saw Jojo Rabbit again last week and, or this week, I guess that was still this week, but uh, not that it matters. But um, yeah, I, I was very struck because I was really looking, looking at more carefully some of the things that I've heard people complain about with this film. And I was really struck by how much depth there really is and how much nuance there is to the way that he portrays Hitler. You know, and I mean, I was captivated by it the first time I watched it, but 
uh, I've heard so many people complain about, oh, it's just making light of what he did. And it's really not. Yeah. It's the, a lot of the, like you say, the menace, a lot of, of that evil, it's very subtle, but it's there. And I think the subtlety is what makes it so much stronger of a performance. If it was just like really overtly bad, besides the throwaway lines of like, burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Um <laughs> Then it would just have been, then it would have been silly, but because there is this, this like there are cracks in the cracks in the finish, you know? And, and I think that's where the real, uh, the real truth lies. And I think that's something that people have missed. Well, and it's, it's filtering that figure through Jojo's perception. So as Jojo begins to understand more about what is actually happening in his world and the lies that he's been told. Mm-hmm. the figure of Hitler changes. I mean, that's the whole point of that character is that it's not Hitler as in like Hitler is not following around this little boy. It's his imagination. It is. Right. It's this, this. It's who he thinks of Hitler as. Yeah. It's this idol. And then the idol begins to break down. And so he stops being this buffoonish kind of friend who's just like, Oh, what's the matter, Jojo? You know? And actually becomes very, very dangerous and menacing and continues to be this force that is pushing him to do bad things that he doesn't want to do. And that's the point by the end of the film, that he doesn't, he needs to be able to reject this figure and to see him for what he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that, I think that Watiti does a very effective job at that. And I, I don't, I can't imagine anyone else playing that part. No, um, I don't think it in in who we have currently, but you know, acting. I can't imagine anybody else doing it and doing it that well. Mm-hmm. Yes, so definitely, uh, mm-hmm. I have a feeling Jojo Rabbit's going to pop up on a lot of our things. Oh yeah, for sure. uh, <laughs> the, so I had t- I had two others. The other one that I, I just recently saw this movie, um, Shia LaBeouf in Honey Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you know, it's, you can make an argument about that he's he's really a co-star. Um, I, I, whether or not he's a supporting actor is a question, but he's great. And I'm saying this as someone who has spent so many years hating Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> and I and then I've I've you know see him in this movie. I'm like, oh my god, he's really talented. He's really talented, and he really he again, you know, talking about that combination of sort of lovability and menace and on the one hand, I'm like, there are things that I like about this character and that you almost feel sorry for him in places. And in other times he's vicious and it's, it's a very complicated performance. And I think he does a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially considering that he's basically playing a version of his own father. Yeah. Yeah. And the story about how he got his dad to sign the rights was pretty interesting too. And how he had to tell him like, Oh no, we're not going to make you look bad. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a film uh mm-hmm. and then the other one and again this is a question this is really a co-star but i wanted to put him on a, on a list somewhere willem dafoe in the lighthouse who <laughs> have you seen the lighthouse yet i have yeah you have i have a feeling that you don't have the same feelings about it that i do uh, <laughs> I think that he's very good he he is very good all right i think that we could agree on that definitely mm-hmm. willem dafoe's is wonderful and i just love again that that co- Maybe this is like what is happening right now—the combination of buffoonery and menace. That he, it's just one hell of a performance, and he is—he is like 
he's like Captain Ahab and Popeye and, uh, you know, Long John Silver and like the Old Testament God all <laughs> splooshed into one. He is fantastic. Uh, and just whenever he's on screen, I was like, oh my God, like, how can anyone, how can you watch anyone other than Willem Dafoe in this movie? Because he's just <laughs> so fascinating. Um, so those, those were mine. I think that there are probably even others that, that are just as good, but there, there've been some great performances this year. I have to say. There really have. Um, some of mine, I mean, definitely I co-sign with you on the Jojo Rabbit guys, and and I agree. Willem Dafoe is fantastic. In fact, my feelings about that movie in general are pretty complicated because I think that it does a lot of things very, very well. I think it's not a question of whether it's a good movie. It's just, it comes down to taste, and that's one that, I probably need to just watch it again because I was so put off by certain things that I was just like, oh, I don't like this, but... (laughs) But on a technical level, it's really, really mm-hmm. well done. Um, but some of my other um, favorite supporting performances, Wesley Snipes and Dolomite is my name. Yeah. I loved him. He was so funny. Yeah. And it's so good to see him back and, and just doing great work. I mean, after earlier this year when we got to see him pop up very briefly in um, an episode of What We Do in the Shadows, yeah. and that was really funny. And then seeing this character in Dolomite, it's just, yeah, it's great to see him. And yeah, that movie is just so good. If people haven't watched it, you really need to go watch mm-hmm. it. Um, I also, Jamie Bell in Rocket Man. Yeah. He's so good. And it's it's one of those performances that and it's funny because I feel like Bernie, who he plays, um, who is Elton John's longtime I mean, they've worked together from the beginning, co- uh, songwriting partner. Um, it's funny because a lot of people don't even know, like no matter even big fans of Elton John kind of still don't know that Bernie even exists. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's funny to see funny and kind of a sad way to see how people are kind of overlooking Jamie Bell. It's great to see Taron Edgerton getting so much attention for this role because he's really fantastic. But Jamie Bell is great too in uh, a much quieter performance where he does spend so much of the time on the sidelines. Really good work. Um, I also love uh, Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Oh, phenomenal. Such a different role from anything that we've ever seen him in before. And it's just really great. And then, um, oh my gosh, I feel like I have so many for this category. The All the men from Parasite are fantastic. And that's a movie where I don't feel like there's really a lead. I feel like it's such an ensemble that everyone kind of supports each other. Yeah. And no character would really work without any of the others. So, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say All the men in Parasite. Another great movie. I need to watch that again today. And then I'm going to end it with um, Dean Charles Chapman in 1917, which you probably haven't seen yet, right? No, no, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Oh, man. He's so good. That movie is so great. And I'm tired of war movies, but this one is really just, it caught me off guard and I really loved it. So. And he's really good in it because he he brings this emotional weight to the story. He's the one that um, they these two soldiers are given a mission and he's pulled into it because his brother is one of the people that will be saved if mm-hmm. they're able to succeed. And uh, so he's got 
I mean, his buddy that he brings with him, of course, wants to save all these, you know, hundreds of lives, but he's got a more personal reason. And Dean Charles Chapman, who people know from uh, Game of Thrones, he was Tom and Baratheon. Uh, it's just interesting to see how, how he's grown up and he, there's this, even though he's still really young, there's just this, um, really lovely maturity and, um, and just beauty that he brings to this role and, and, uh, some of the things that they go through together, it's just heartbreaking and, but he just, he just brings this quality of just continuing to go and you could just imagine this poor kid in this real war and, yeah. Uh, any others? Uh, well, when you mentioned Joe Pesci, I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't put Joe Pesci on there. Um, and also um, Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, who is, you know, he's, he, and he's kind of playing, you know, he's that extremity, but but he's perfect for Hoffa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, playing up that Pacino extremity. And, and he, it actually is, again, a very nuanced performance. Like he's bombastic and he's loud and he's obnoxious. But he's also really lovable and, you know, spoiler alert, when he dies, it is heartbreaking. <laughs> and the relationship between him... Hoffa died? What? <laughs> I was always amazed. Like, the, the number of people just like, are you spoiling it? It's just like, it's a literal part of history. Like, do you not... Did, like, as soon as... Just like, oh, Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, Frank is going to kill him, right? Yeah, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, yeah, but I, I just, I loved his performance, and the, the, there's the one scene where he's, like, re- yelling at everybody, calling them all motherfuckers, and at one point he just, like, <laughs> can't get the words out, almost, it's like, <laughs> and I loved it, it was just like, oh my god, because, because you know that feeling, I guess, there's a sympathy there, just like, I just, I can't, meh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That experience, oh. like, and he captured it really, really well, so yeah, props mm-hmm. to Al Pacino. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Okay, so let's now talk about supporting actresses. Uh, okay, I think I, s- I have some odd ones. Uh, so one of mine is Toni Collette in Knives Out, just because I loved her. <laughs> yes. I loved her so much. <laughs> so good. Oh my god. Uh, I also have Jamie Lee Curtis in Knives Out, and I think we discussed this when we were talking about the film, that we just really want them to like have their own spinoff series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the two of them together are, are wonderful but I think that Toni Collette of all of the people in that movie is just so happy to be doing what she's doing <laughs> she just seems to be having such a fantastic time mm-hmm. uh, Billy Lord in uh, Booksmart who yeah. and, and I wanted to put the Booksmart girls on a couple of different places but I'm like but how do I are they supporting are they not but Billy Lord is, is definitely supporting um, but she's wonderful and uh, just, and again, getting this really extreme character, but there's also something very lovable about her. And <laughs> and I swear to God, I went to college with girls like that. They're just like, you are so fucked up, but you're also such a lovely person. Like underneath all of that, there is goodness, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I also just like the fact that she keeps on popping up in random places like a witch. <laughs> How did you get here? How did you get here? <laughs> uh, I also had Emma Thompson in Late Night. Um, yeah. And I feel like we've kind of forgotten about that film almost, but she's really good in it and, and gets that, that you know, she's good in just about everything that she does. But she, she does get nuance into a character that, again, could have been very broad. 
and very one note but she she actually gets a lot of interesting elements into into that character she's also just very funny mm-hmm. and i think the unsung hero of uh, uncut gems is adina menzel yeah who doesn't have a huge part but she is she like cuts through the bullshit in such a great way and there's one scene i will not spoil it too much for people that haven't seen it but there's one scene between her and adam sandler that she just like destroys him with a couple of words and it's such a it would be again it would be so easy for this part to be one note to be caricature to be sort of just a foil and she's not and i think that a lot of that comes down to her performance and her presence there um she she's wonderful in this film so those were the ones that i had great um i would also like to mention thomas and mckenzie and scarlett johansson both for jojo rabbit and it's funny because the first time i watched it i my i was really drawn to thomas and mckenzie who plays elsa and she's so good and so sweet and and her character is just so sad and what happens with her and and the experiences that she's going through and watching this friendship blossom between her and Jojo is really beautiful. The second time I watched it, cause it's everyone's of course, you know, drawn towards Scarlett Johansson and she's a bigger name. They know who she is. Her character has some, you know, very specific reasons to, to really care about her too. And it's funny. Cause when I watched it the second time, I was like, wow, there's really a lot more, here than I realized the first time. And it actually is a very, very good performance. And I, I really want Thomas and Mackenzie to get nominated for an Oscar, but after seeing it a second time, I'm like, no, you know what? If Scarlett get, got in, I'd be okay with that because this movie just needs representation. It's so good and it needs Oscar nominations and, and both of them are very worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I did it with the men. I'm going to do it with the women too. All the women in Parasite, they're so good. And the way that they play off of each other, the way that they bring so much humor, but also, especially with the women, um, you get more of a sense of the consequences of decisions that are made and the weight that they carry with them. Even when things are funny, um, it's it's with the women where you really get the heart of the story. And they're all so great. Um, also, uh, nominate Nai Nai, uh, Xiao Shuzen for The Farewell. I mean, who wouldn't want her to be their grandma? Yeah. <laughs> so she's so just sweet, but also really wise and um, just loves her family so much. And it's it's a really, uh, a really lovely look. I, I don't think that the movie would have worked as well with uh someone else in that role and and i think that the relationship between her and aquafina is so beautiful and you can really tell that those two just have this special bond mm-hmm. oh divine joy randolph in dolomite is my name if you couldn't tell uh some of these movies are my favorites <laughs> of the year <laughs> but um she is so great too um it was really cool when i when i saw the movie uh, it was at a screening at Beyond Fest, and two of the men that are portrayed in the film um, 
I'm trying to think who played them now, but uh, when she came on screen, they were like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's so perfect. And and it, just hearing their reactions just made me just kind of love her performance a little bit more, just knowing that it was just so spot on. So I love that. Um, and let's see. Octavia Spencer in Loose. Did you see Loose? I have not seen Loose yet. Oh man, she's so good in that. She plays this history teacher who you don't know like what I think is so great about it is the whole time you don't know does she just have it out for this kid or is she really concerned does she have reasons to be concerned and she plays that uh that so well where you're just constantly questioning her motives and everything so yeah definitely that one too uh yeah any others you thought of nope I don't have any more I don't think let's talk some documentaries all right okay so let's talk about our favorite docs of the year. Which one's really caught your attention? Uh, I actually have only two, although I'm certain that I am forgetting ones that like I saw. Because I always see a bunch of documentaries that I'm like, oh, these are amazing, and then I forget. Uh, <laughs> but the, the two that I have are American Factory, which has gotten a lot of play. Um, and I saw it initially at the, uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival, but it's about a... Um, a Chinese company that comes into uh, that comes into Ohio and takes over a um, I think it's a former G- GM plant GM or Chevrolet I yeah. think so yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's about just the it, it gets at both the viciousness of, of the kind of capitalism that's being practiced but also at the humanity of it because the, the 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 pieces of the film that I think work the best and kind of keep you keep it from being too and in, too intense and too depressing is the relationships between the the um the chinese workers and the american workers and them beginning to find common cause with each other and how dangerous that actually is uh to a lot of the managers and to the the ceo and the, to the corporation because they're realizing that the Chinese workers in some, in some ways are essentially being infected with Americanism <laughs> and, and this whole concept of unionization and workers' rights and stuff like that. And it's, it's a very tough documentary in a lot of ways, but I think it's an incredibly essential one. Uh, the other one, and, and it will make you a socialist by the end of the film. Like, it's very difficult not to come out of that film and be like, man, fuck capitalism. Uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm fully a socialist now, but I definitely appreciate my union more. See? Well, you know, unionization is socialism. I hate to tell you. Uh, and, and the other one is At the Heart of Gold, which I have talked up a lot uh, in the past few months. Um, just the, the documentary about the U.S. Olympics gymnastics team and Larry Nasser, And uh, again... I, I've mentioned this before, but I'll just, I will say it again. It is very powerful in the sense that it gives the victims a great deal of voice and it does not give the perpetrator a great deal of voice. And that's really important. It's important to see them and to hear them. Uh, so the, those are the two that have like really stuck with me. As soon as I was thinking about these awards again, I was like, definitely these two films. I would agree with both of those. Um, really, really well done and so important. Um, I also, I've talked about this one a lot this year and it's Knock Down the House, which mm-hmm. is one that really, I mean, I've talked very openly about the fact that I was a lifelong Republican and I'm not anymore. Now I'm not in any party, but um, 
the fact that I was watching a movie about AOC and other people and sobbing at the end because I was so happy for them. I was like, what black magic has this movie <laughs> enacted? Um, it's really, really well done. And I think that just like what you were talking about with, um, particularly with American Factory, I think that it really does do such a great job of getting into the hearts of these women. And it's not about, uh, at least it's so much less about the politics and more just about people that are trying to make a difference and trying to help our country in the way that they think is the right way. And, and they're not out to hurt anybody and they're not out to, it's not for their, their own, uh, you know, self aggrandizement. It's, it's because they really just, they really love and care about our country and they want to help people near them. And, Part of the way to do that is to get rid of these people that have just been there for years and are not doing their job. Yeah. And I really, I really love that one. It It's one that, it's one of the films, uh, you know, narrative or documentary that has stuck with me all year. And when I think about some of the greatest films of the year, that's definitely one that always comes back to my mind. Um, and then a couple of others that, uh, another one that similarly has just stayed with me is one that never got released. I don't know if it will. It still plays at festivals once in a while, and that's Gaza, which is a film that the the director, he started off, he went to the Gaza Strip because he wanted to make a documentary about the Gaza Surfing Club. There was a similar documentary made uh, around the same time that he went there. And while he was there filming and getting to know people, a war broke out. And it completely changed the trajectory of his project, of his life. And this just kind of became his passion is trying to get the word out to the world about what's happening in in Gaza. And the fact that by the middle of this coming year in 2020, the Gaza Strip is going to be uninhabitable because the water is completely polluted. They have no more power. It's, they don't, there's no way to get, uh, food and equipment and supplies in and nobody's doing anything about it and this film just really i mean i don't know how you could watch it and not be affected it's incredible uh but then a fun one that i saw this year that i loved too was ask dr ruth uh <laughs> just still haven't seen i need to oh man i think it's on hulu or yeah I think, yeah it's, it's on hulu it's been on my list for a while i just haven't gotten around to it Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's so like, you really get such a great in-depth look at who she is as a person, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, growing up, I just knew her as the grandma that talked about sex all the time, which is what she was known for. Um, but there's so much more to her life. Like the fact that she was an on-air radio sex therapist is one of the less interesting things about her life once you really start to get to know who she is. And I mean, that's, that's saying something. (laughs) So, yeah. And it's just a fun, really lively look at her. And she's just so spunky still. She's in her nineties and she's just so funny and doesn't take life seriously, which is really incredible when you look at what she's been through. And, uh, yeah, I highly recommend that one. If you just need something, um, something just, just good and and that will just leave you feeling happy that's one to watch for sure uh yeah 
Any others? I, I did want to mention, because again, I, I always think of something else. Uh, I've mentioned this film a number of times, but it's the other film that Martin Scorsese directed this year. Uh, oh, yeah. Rolling Thunder Review. Tech, which I have not watched. Which is a very, very good film, especially if you like Bob Dylan's music. I mean, and, and I love Bob Dylan, but it's it's a fascinating... You, It's difficult to call it a documentary, even though it's it uses documentary footage and it kind of purports to be a documentary but there's a bending of truth and and history and it, it reminds me a lot of um orson welles effort fake which is a documentary but is also a lie and it combines the two of them in a in a really interesting way so i do it's on netflix like you know and it's it's a long film but if you're into music if you like dig scorsese if you like Dylan, then it, it's very worth watching. It's a well-made film. Yeah, nice. I need to watch it. It's that has been on my list for a while, so I will get to it very soon. Um, okay, so let's go now to let's mix it up a little bit. Let's talk about our thirst discoveries <laughs> for the year. <laughs> uh, I haven't made many. Uh, <laughs> I haven't made many like. Okay, I'm going to admit, um, just because I watched Peanut Butter Falcon last night. Do it. Uh, I Watching Peanut Butter Falcon, I was in a very disturbing position of being attracted to Shia LaBeouf, which <laughs> I was not prepared for. I was kind of prepared for it because people said, like, oh, he's really good in this. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, this is unfortunate. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, uh, Taika Waititi. You know, yes. I have always known that Taika Waititi was an attractive man, but somehow this year, and no, not like him playing Hitler or whatever, but <laughs> just like his, his, I, I have no idea what sort of a person he is in real life, but he seems like a lovely human being. And I have, I just enjoy watching him and he's got such a wonderful sense of humanity and a love of humanity while also recognizing how nasty humanity can be. And I, I like that balance. So yeah, Taika Waititi, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. I hope he's in more films. He's going to be in that movie with Ryan Reynolds this summer, Free Guy. And it looks dumb, but I am there for it <laughs> because Taika Waititi is in it. And he shows his face. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a droid like on Mandalorian. And he's not, you know, like in a costume like Korg or anything like mm. that. And Yeah. Hmm. Um, oh man, I still think back to when I was shoulder to shoulder with him at a premiere this summer and I did not talk to him because I didn't want to bother him. And that has just festered for six months <laughs> <laughs> because I love him so much. You should have just slowly turned and been like, I just want to let you know that I love you <laughs> and then like walked away. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, let's see, some of mine this year. I also don't have a lot, but um, I'm going to say uh, I have an appreciation for Taryn Edgerton that I did not have before. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been, it wasn't because of the movie, it was because of the press tour for Rocket Man and watching him and just, there's, I don't know, it seems like he's grown up a little bit in the last year or so. And uh, I don't know. I just found this new appreciation for him. I'm also going to say Kelvin Harrison Jr., who was in Loose and also in Waves. 
And I got to talk to him on a red carpet a couple months ago, and he is just so charming and so delightful and very, very cute. Um, We won't talk about the fact that in both of those movies he plays a high school student (laughs) because he is in his 20s, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. And I already appreciated him, but I my... Attraction to Adam Driver has really strengthened this year, too. <laughs> man, that man is hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go with those. All right. Not going to admit to any of the others. No, <laughs> <laughs> no there really aren't any others. Um, it's been kind of a weird year. It's been more like solidifying the crushes that I already had, like Taika. Um, let's talk about scripts. What are some scripts you liked this year? Unsurprisingly, most of the scripts that... It was interesting. A lot of the scripts this year, I think the the comedies are in many ways, in terms of script writing, are better than the dramas. So the ones that I had were um, uh, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, which is just a very, very clever script. Uh, Booksmart, (laughs) Dolomite Is My Name, and Uncut Gems. Those are all really great. Really great. And I would agree with all of them. Um... I would add Parasite Mm -hmm. and The Farewell. Actually, I want to say I love the script for Little Monsters, too. Especially the dialogue in that movie. Have you watched it? I have, yeah. yeah. It it does have some great dialogue. (laughs) I think I was a little more lukewarm on it than a lot of people were. um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that it... I like the tonal shifts, but I think there were places where it didn't quite gel for me or something. It felt like it was missing something in places. Um, I I think that spending the first half hour on the boring white dude was not a great choice. Yeah, it's like it takes the movie a little while to actually get to the point. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it had picked up, like, maybe right when he was dropping his nephew off at school or something like that. But, yeah, spending... It it felt more like it was supposed to be his film and then it became someone else's. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But when it became someone else's, it was a much better movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, also extraordinary. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is a great yes. script. So funny. Oh my gosh. I love the wordplay and just, oh man, it's so good. How about um, romantic or sexy scenes? Have there been many romantic or sexy scenes in this? I couldn't really think of this many. Year? I mean, the honestly, the only one that I could, that even like popped into my head was like most of portrait of a lady on fire Mm. um but i couldn't think of any others that were particularly this has not been a terribly sexy year in turn in terms of like romance yeah uh yeah it really hasn't i'm scrolling through my list of all the movies i've seen and it's like huh i think as far as um romantic not not sexy but romantic scenes that really um that i loved is the the your song scene in rocket man when he's singing uh-huh. to bernie it's just so beautiful the way that they do that and it's it's interesting when you know that uh they have this love but it's ultimately very platonic but it's such a beautiful scene and i mean it makes me cry to watch it so um i guess in terms of sexy scenes, uh, when we first meet JLo and Hustlers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the one that I thought of. I was like, I mean, you know, can't argue with that. <laughs> well, and when we meet her on the roof and she's like, climb in my fur. Okay. 
don't mind if I do. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about Hustlers more, but I was fascinated and in, in, I watched it a couple days ago with my parents again. And I was fascinated how much of particularly JLo's introduction was from the, from uh, Destiny's perspective. So mm-hmm. that whole scene of her, the, her first uh, pole dance and the, the introduction with the fur and all of that, that's that's the way that she's looking at this woman and it's a it's really interesting it's an interesting dynamic that they establish right off the bat and it is this like combination of of attraction and and platonic friendship that sort of melds together it's a really interesting formation yeah it is uh well let's continue on those lines and since we were talking about hustlers and talk about uh, use of modern music and dance in film this year. <laughs> well, the two <laughs> the two that I have are Hustlers and Rocket Man. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Hust- Hustlers in particular, um, the needle drops in that film are very well placed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I'm also gonna add, speaking of really perfect needle drops, the two popes, which was surprising. <laughs> I, which I haven't seen yet. Oh man! I think... Oh yeah, it's so good. There, there's a moment where um, it goes into Dancing Queen that I'm not going to tell you where it's at because I don't want to spoil it. But it's just so unexpected and so funny, and just perfect. Um, and just the music in that movie, especially I mean Pope Francis, he just. I'm not Catholic, but I really love that man, and I am so just in awe of him. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I think that you really, or one of the ways that they really show who he is in the movie is through the use of music and the kinds of music that he listens to. And it's like, it's kind of the sense of Pope Francis. He's just like the rest of us. (laughs) And I love that. Um, I'm also going to say... Basically, the entire soundtrack of Captain Marvel is perfection. And when she goes into the big fight scene playing just a girl, I love that moment so much. And then dance scenes. I mean, how can you not love this dance between Jojo and Elsa at the end of Jojo Rabbit? Oh, Oh, just kill me. (laughs) Those kids. All right. Um... Okay, so let's talk about lead performances then. Sounds good. Male or female? Let's start with the men. Who are some of your favorite male leads this year? I have many, actually. I keep on adding to my list. (laughs) So Robert De Niro in The Irishman, um, Taron Edgerton in Rocket Man. I never thought I would say that I liked Taron Edgerton in anything, but I liked him in that movie. Uh, Eddie Murphy in Dolomite is my name. Roman Griffin Jones, or Davis in uh, I don't know why I said Jones. Davis <laughs> in Jojo Rabbit uh, plays Jojo. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, and I wanted to put him on this list just because he made me cry several times. Uh, Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So good, so good. Um, I co-sign with all of yours. The only ones I would add would be um, Jonathan Price in The Two Popes, who's so good. And then um, I'm going to consider it a lead performance. I'm going to say Daniel Craig in Knives Out. Oh, yeah. He's a lead. 
Yeah. And then also um, George McKay in 1917. And it's funny because a couple of people were trying to argue with me when I said that one is a, one is a lead and one is a sporting. And I was like, um, I have seen the movie and you have not. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm correct. <laughs> and he's really, he's so great. As much as Dean Charles Chapman plays the guy that has kind of the more emotional connection more immediate emotional connection to what their mission is. George McKay and what he goes through and what he endures, he's so just, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's really, really great work. Um, oh, and then also Kelvin Harrison Jr. is really great in Loose. He's great in Waves too, but um, I think Loose is one that people really need to not skip. It's, he's so good. Uh, yeah. How about female leads? Again, I keep on, like, being confused as to what I should count as a lead and what I shouldn't. Uh, so I'm going to count all want. of these people as leads. Uh, so screw screw everybody who does not agree with me. <laughs> uh, Aquafina in The Farewell. I, I think that she's wonderful. And I like the fact that she does get to have some humor, but she's she really does show off that she's a very good dramatic actress. Um, both Beanie Feldstein and, uh, and Caitlin Deaver in Booksmart are wonderful. And I... They're both leads because, like, you can't have you can't have one of those characters without the other one, and they're both very balanced. Yeah. Uh, Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. Again, you can't really have one without the other. It's hard to say in this. In a certain sense, it's Destiny's story, but I think that they're they balance each other out so well that they very much are co-stars. Uh, and Adele Hanel in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire again argument about whether or not she's the lead or the supporting actress Um, but I just thought she was phenomenal and she does so so much of that film is about looking and looking back and her and the looks that she gives sometimes I'm just like oh my god there's so so much emotional content um, to the way that that she looks at at the woman she's falling in love with that is just phenomenal i would add um anna de armis from knives out mm. ashling frank yossi from the nightingale is really phenomenal too those are mine Besides the ones that you mentioned, because your list was pretty much perfect. <laughs> it always is. I mean, we just need to. We need to admit. I am objectively right about most things. So. <laughs> uh, what about favorite scenes in general? What are some some our favorite scenes from there? Uh, I was trying to think of some of these. I always have difficulty, particularly in films that I really like, picking out specific scenes that I just think are amazing. Uh. The entire, the reveal of the solution in Knives Out, <laughs> I just adored. And actually, one of the reasons why I adored it, and my props to my father for pointing this out, Daniel Craig, for some reason, gets up, takes off his coat, rolls up his sleeves <laughs> while he's, like, doing this whole thing, then rolls his sleeves back down and puts his coat... It's, it's one of the weirdest sequences and i was just like why is he doing that because it looks like he's preparing for something and then nothing he doesn't appear to be 
And I, I really just loved that. And I, I think that that whole scene was very well done. And a lot of it really is supported is, is because of Craig, because he does such a fantastic job with it. Um, let's see. Uh, Willem Dafoe again in the lighthouse when, um, uh, when the Robert Pattinson character insults his cooking and mm. he like holds forth with like fire and brimstone and it is terrifying and also funny and i loved it uh and it's just like a static shot on defoe's face which is even more powerful in a lot of ways <laughs> um let's see the scene where jojo kicks hitler out the window mm. jojo rabbit i really liked that that just Again, it, it builds up, the, the entire film builds up to that, but there's that wonderful catharsis of just, like, of that, of that final rejection, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then there's so many scenes in The Irishman that I think are, are remarkable, but actually the, the entire sequence that sort of begins with them driving to pick up Hoffa and knowing what is coming and how it is, and what's going to happen and that sense of fatality and being unable unable to stop what is happening and how quietly that is done one of the things i really liked about the irishman is is how the violence is there but it's so much of it is about the threat of violence and about the violence that you know is coming and less about the actual act um and i thought that that scene was just incredibly well structured yeah oh man that whole movie so great i wish that people would stop whining about I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I, so on the on the subject of Knives Out, I love the scene when you first when you're first seeing the interrogation, and the way that it cuts between everybody, mm-hmm. and like, um, oh no, he he loves me. I hate that guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny the way that they. The way they do it, like, oh no, everyone loves that I'm running the publishing house. He sucks at that. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny and and gives you in such quick succession gives you so much about each of those characters and everything that you need to know, not only from the way that they present themselves, but from the way everybody else talks about them too. Um, ready or not, I love the scene. <laughs> well. I love all of that movie, but at the end, especially when uh, the sun comes up, yeah, <laughs> and you're like waiting and you don't know what's gonna happen, and um, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I love. Oh man, there's so many. I don't have a ton of really great things to say about it, but I think there's a scene in The Rise of Skywalker between Ray and Kylo Ren that is really really good and then that leads into a scene that's just kylo ren that just just killed me it was so so good and it's like the one moment in the movie that i felt like wow this is this is really great i wish they had built the entire movie around this and uh i think that they think they did but (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then also when Jojo and Yorkie are in the tent while they're at the Hitler's youth camp and they're talking and Jojo's saying that he's going to be best friends with Hitler and Yorkie just has this look on his face and he's like, I thought I was your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Oh my gosh, those kids. Pretty much every scene that they're in together just melts my heart. Yeah. They're just so sweet. Let's talk about some direction. 
All right. I have, again, there's some, there've been some really good films this year. You know, every year oh, people really talk yeah. about, people are like, oh, this year's just been the worst for cinema. And every year I'm like, what movies have you been watching? <laughs> uh, yeah. You're obviously just seeing bad films. So I actually have six best directors. Um, Taika Waititi, Martin Scorsese. I, I think that Scorsese, amazingly enough, keeps on getting better. And the, the two films that he released this year are just uh, amazing films. Um, Lorraine Scafaria, who directed Hustlers. Um, Celine uh, Sciamma, who directed Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Lulu Wang and Mariel Heller. Uh, yeah, all of those definitely. And then I would also add Jennifer Kent for The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. And um, and Sam Mendes for 1917. Do we want to talk about hot dads? I have no hot dads. <laughs> I have none either. Let's skip that. Uh, not a great year for dads. So, someone <laughs> someone had mentioned, kept on mentioning that they really found Adam Sandler attractive in Uncut Gems. And I'm like, okay. Oh. <laughs> that's that's a choice <laughs> it is a choice it's a type definitely you know i think he's great in uncut gems i don't think he's hot but you know mm-hmm. there you go <laughs> yeah uh okay so let's go to foreign language films uh i have a feeling that this is going to be pretty self-evident uh portrait yeah. of a lady on fire i <laughs> love that movie I'm it shocked. is such a good movie it is i think it's the first film that i actually really properly cried at this year um nice uh so that atlantics and and parasite i think that you know but for both portrait of lady on fire and parasite they've been talked up a lot they've been these films that have kind of gotten a lot of play they're they're definitely getting nominations but they actually are that good and i like seeing that i love seeing films that just like these films deserve the praise they are getting mm-hmm yeah, the only one that I would add to that list is The Farewell, which is 80% in Mandarin. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a foreign language film, too. So, yeah. Great year for international films, really. Yeah. Uh, at least, I mean, I think every year is good. The world makes great movies. I think it's great that uh, we're getting more opportunities to see them here. And that watching films from places like Nigeria and Nepal and Colombia, it's becoming much more common and easier, easier to access. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad about that. Um, how about comedies? Again, I think this is going to be really predictable. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> what? <laughs> no way. Ready or not. Uh, knives Out. Extraordinary, and I'm also going to put Parasite in there because I consider it more of a comedy than a drama, but that's an argument to be had. Yeah, I don't know which one I would put that in, honestly. That's a tough one. I laughed at it, so I'm going to call it. I'm going to call (laughs) it. It's very funny, but it's also kind of a thriller. It's also a little bit horror. It's like it's amazing how it really does cross all the genres. Um. I will add Booksmart and Knives Out and Dolomite is my name. Yes. That sounds good. And uh, what about dramas? Let's see. What did I have? Oh, Uncut Gems, uh, The Farewell, The Lighthouse. Again, these these films that are overlapping between like, are they a comedy? Are they a drama? Is it a horror film? Mm-hmm. How do we categorize these things? I also have Portrait of a Lady on Fire on there. Uh, obviously, I liked this movie. Uh, if if it, it should be nominated for all the things, obviously. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm also going to say um, Paddleton is one that stuck with me. I watched it at Sundance last year, and it ended up having a very small release, and then it was put on Netflix. Well, they they actually produced it. And it's just it's a pretty simple story about these two men that are just best friends and um, just two guys that really don't have anyone else but each other and dealing with impending loss because one of them has a terminal diagnosis. And it's actually really, Ray Romano has always kind of bugged me, but in the last couple of years, I'm really starting to appreciate him and uh, seeing him as actually a pretty, pretty good actor. And same with Mark Duplass. So I think the two of them, uh, they're, they're, the friendship that they build in that is really great. And it's just, like I said, it stayed with me all year. Um, Loose, which is a drama that plays like a thriller. And, and I've talked about that one a lot. Yeah, The Two Popes is one that's like, it's funny, but I think it's more of a drama too. It deals with some really serious things. And uh, The Nightingale. That's a comedy, right? The Nightingale? Yeah. Oh, wait, are we still in comedy? <laughs> no. No, we no, switched to drama. No, I was oh. making a joke. I was making a terrible joke. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got so confused. I thought, oh crap, did I just fuck that up? <laughs> the Nightingale is an oh uplifting comedy about birds. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. It's a very happy movie that everyone should rush out and watch right now, especially with your mom. <laughs> Oh man. Uh, okay. What are some some films that you felt were under underseen or underrated this year? Uh, Which are two different things. <laughs> the the one that continues to pop up into my head, and I think we talked about some of these films uh, last week or last time we re- we recorded. Actually, the big one for me is The Kitchen. Yeah. Uh, the Kitchen deserved... Like, I don't know why there was so much hatred for that film. Uh, it has some wobbly bits, but it is actually a very, very good film. And I, I don't get why people were so nasty about it. Um, I do think that it is very underrated and it deserves to be seen. And if you have a chance to see it, rent it, watch it. Uh, it, it is a good film. I actually think in some ways... I feel like that this is getting swept under the rug because of other um because of other more spectacular films i guess but a beautiful day in the neighborhood is a very low-key film in a lot of ways and it's wonderful like again you know if if we're going to measure the goodness of a a film based upon how many times i cry in the movie theater uh (laughs) a beautiful day in the neighborhood definitely wins a couple of awards because it, it just it gets at some of the emotions um and of of a of treating of positive masculinity and what positive masculinity looks like and what it can mean and how important that is to have like people like Mr. Rogers and good representations of masculinity and ways to to begin to heal yourself. I think that that's incredibly important and it, it's not I feel like it just isn't getting the attention that it deserves. I agree with that completely. Um and I mean, I've talked pretty openly about the fact that I didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers. We were not a Mr. Rogers house. And this movie still affected me, even though I didn't have any sort of, you know, nostalgic connection to the set or to any of the characters or any of that. Just the story, mostly between Matthew Reese and Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and watching the two of them together. It really, it it was so 
such a such a positive emotional experience yes definitely did you have any others i did not have any others i was trying to think of other films that have been underrated i think the charlie's angels was underrated but just because i think everyone was was like it should be this it's just like it is literally just a fun movie about women beating people up like i don't know what you (laughs) want from this film yeah that happens so much where it's like people judge a movie based on what they think it should be instead of looking at what it is and what it accomplishes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say for underrated or underseen movies, I mean, I think Jojo Rabbit is still underseen. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that those, you know, people that had just knives out for it <laughs> um, <laughs> back at the festivals when it first hit have just completely tanked the Metacritic and, and Rotten Tomato scores. I mean, those have creeped back up a bit, but people people think that the scores are indicative of a broad consensus of critics, and it's not. And that really sucks. Because um, it's such a... I mean, as we've talked about a lot today, that is such a great movie. Mel Brooks then, says it's fine. Eh, Mel Brooks <laughs> says it's great. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then um, I'm going to say Black Christmas. Not a lot of people went and saw it. And some of the ones that did are a bunch of whiny men who have taken to altering the trivia on IMDb so that it says all kinds of wonderful things. Like they sacrificed a male cat and donated it to a shelter because they wanted a female cat. Like that kind of bullshit. Just really stupid things. Really? Like, oh, they said in it. Oh, yeah. Go read the trivia for Black Christmas. Like, Christ. I mean, maybe some of it's been corrected now, but um, there's something where it like says that they said in an interview that they hate all men. It's like, yeah, they're both married to men. I'm guessing they don't hate. Just all like of not them. all men. <laughs> exactly. Just uh, yeah, you. No, it's you specifically, yeah. random internet guy. Exactly. We hate you specifically. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, and it's just like, man, I mean, that's when you know you're doing something right, when you just get the man babies so upset that they have to go take to the internet and uh, <laughs> try to tear you down. I really want to see this movie now. <laughs> I was oh, kind yeah. of, I was kind of like, uh, it's, I don't, I generally don't like Christmas-based horror films, because I feel like it, it sort of, it damages the holiday for me a little bit. But I'm okay with watching them after Christmas. So mm-hmm. I really should go see see Black Christmas if I can get a chance to. You really should. It's such a, I mean, I said this the day that I saw it. Um, it's a better Me Too movie, movie than Bombshell is. By <laughs> it doesn't Miles. surprise me. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's also written and directed by women. Go figure. Um yeah, so, I mean, there's just so many good movies out there. Just, you know, what are, yeah. I would like to know from the listeners, like, what are some movies that you think have been underrated or underseen this year? And maybe something that we've never mentioned that you want to, you know, you want us to watch or you want to recommend yeah. or whatever. I'd like to hear that. Uh, what about just our favorite movies overall? I think that's pretty obvious from the conversation we've been having. Yeah, really. I think this is going to overlap <laughs> with a lot of different things. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some of mine, The Irishman, uh, Jojo Rabbit, obviously, uh, Uncut Gems, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Booksmart, Knives Out, uh, what else? Honey Boy. I really liked Honey Boy. I got to see that not long ago. 
The Lighthouse for me, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, <laughs> Hustlers, yeah, Parasite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, The Farewell, 1917, Knives Out, um, Booksmart, The Two Popes, The Irishman, Loose. I actually really liked Ford v. Ferrari, too. I thought that was a good one. Um, Teen Spirit is another one I loved with Elle Fanning earlier this year. Fighting with My Family with Florence Pugh. Uh, yeah, there's this has been a really great year for film. And I think it's been the best year we've had in a while, honestly. I mean, I agree with what you were saying before. Like, when people say, oh, it's a bad year for films, you're just not watching the right films. I think that's definitely true. But I think I have more, uh, like, four-star movies this year than I've had in maybe the entire decade. I'm not sure. Uh, There's just so many movies this year that I really, really loved. And they're very diverse films too. Like they're not they're not all like they're not all in the same category. They're not all comedies or dramas right. or for you know foreign foreign language films which tend to get lumped together. Like there's a lot of different films from different perspectives and different kinds of directors and actors and actresses and everything. And like that's why I, I was saying earlier on uh, on Twitter that I hate making top ten lists or best mm-hmm. of lists for for years because. I'm like, you know, how, okay, if I'm going to take Booksmart and, you know, Uncut Gems, how the fuck am I going to compare those two films? Right. Like, you know, is Booksmart a better film? Well, they do totally different things and they're supposed to do totally different things. You know, so so to say, for me to say that one is better than the other, it's really difficult to, to try to make those comparisons. Yeah, no, I agree with you and I hate ranking and unfortunately being in this business, it's something that's kind of expected yeah. in certain circles. And so that's why for this one, we both were like, let's just say what we love and not worry about putting it in an order. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, like for Award Circuit, I have to do a top 10 and I'm like, but I like 15, <laughs> you know, and it's hard. But with that in mind, we did put together a list of the best films this year about women, which we did this last year too. Last year we had 10. Uh, This year we have a little bit more than 10 because there are so many, this has been a really great year for movies about women and especially by women. So Uh it's been really, it's been really exciting to see. So with that, we are going to now unveil our list. This is in alphabetical order. This is not ranked. (laughs) Because these are all great and you should watch all of them. And uh, I think all of these you have heard at some point or another during <laughs> this episode. Uh, so they are Atlantics, Black Christmas, Booksmart, Britney Runs a Marathon, Captain Marvel, Charlie's Angels, The Farewell, Hustlers, Knock Down the House, The Kitchen, The Nightingale, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's a good list. So there you have it. That's a great list. We did a good job. We did. We're pretty good at this. There's some great (laughs) films that are coming out. I think, I was just looking at those, I think most of those, all of those, I'm not certain about Knock Down the House, but most of those are directed by women. Uh, Yeah. Knock Down the House is directed by two women. There you go. (laughs) Um, Britney Runs a Marathon is directed by a man. Okay. Um, Captain Marvel is co-directed. Captain Marvel is co-directed, but yeah, Atlantic's woman, yeah. Black Christmas woman, Booksmart woman, 
Uh, Charlie's Angels, The Farewell. Huh. We didn't even try that, guys. <laughs> so <laughs> how it happened. Exactly one of these films was di- was solely directed by a man. <laughs> right. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Thus proving That's pretty great. that we can, in fact, have an all-female Oscars. Yes, uh, yes, we can. Direct, you know, best pictures, directed by, etc. You know, we don't, we don't need men, honestly. Like, we don't need male creatives. They can appear in films sometimes. They can. They can. Um, Only to look pretty. And I just remembered another, like, thirst discovery that I had this year, speaking of the kitchen. I never had anything for Domhnall Gleeson before, but I kind of do now. (laughs) But But maybe it's just his character in the kitchen. You mean when he plays a violent psychopath? (laughs) Yes. Okay. But, you know, I mean, he has a good reason. Yeah. He's bad guys. He's not. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, talk about liking the bad boys. Woo. <laughs> yes, he teaches one of the characters how to effectively murder and dispose of the bodies. Yeah, his lesson on how to basically <laughs> dismember someone. It's, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I can't describe it. I can't explain. It's so sexy. I, I can't. I got nothing. It, it, for some reason, it is. <laughs> anyway um but yeah so watch the kitchen watch all these other movies they're all great and uh let us know how much you love them after you watch them so that's gonna finish up our 101st episode still can't believe that that's so crazy um but we love you all we thank you for listening it's been a great 2019 we're really excited well it's been a we survived 2019 (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's been great now it hasn't it's been awful we've made it yeah it's been pretty bad but here's to hoping the 20s are gonna be a really great decade i mean it's the roaring 20s what could go wrong exactly we don't need to talk about how the last ones ended but uh anyway it's fun um, getting there though come on exactly we'll have a great time then it'll all come crashing down (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh thank you so much for your support and if you'd like to continue the conversation with us you can find us of course on twitter and instagram at citizen name pod facebook-ish uh citizen facebook.com slash citizen dame email us if you want to if you have some special stuff you want to send us uh citizen dame pod at gmail.com be sure to check out our website citizen dame pod.com sensing a theme here uh, and then we also have ways that you can support the show through our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen Dane. You get early access to episodes. I swear we really are going to do some more bonus content coming in the next, uh, in the new year. And, uh, we also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen Dane. We have our Ko-Fi account as well. If you just want to shell out a couple of dollars and don't want a commitment and don't want more stuff in your house, it's co-fi.com slash citizen dame and you can reach out to us individually lauren where are you i am at lh business on twitter and instagram and i am on twitter and instagram at karen m peterson so thank you so much have a great new year and we'll catch you soon Ah. why so happy things are changing the allies have taken italy france will be next and soon the war will be over god damn it why does that make you happy? You hate your country that much? I love my country. It's a war I hate. It's pointless and stupid. And the sooner we have peace, the better. Oh, the war will end. 
We will crush our enemies into dust. And when they are destroyed, we shall use the graves as toilets. Okay, no more politics. Dinner is neutral ground. This table is Switzerland. Let's eat. 